I want to read a card for you this morning. Thank you for everything you have done for us, especially prayers with Keith being sick. We love you to our church family, Keith and Diane Cox. And so if you would continue uh, to remember them in your prayers as Keith had a procedure done on Friday and as he recovers. Uh, If you were to Google today salvation, the definition, uh, the first thing that would pop up is the preservation or deliverance from harm. And if you were to look at the second thing, it would say specifically for Christianity, and then it would define what salvation is. When I pulled up Savior this morning, the same was true. It gave a definition, and then specifically its meaning to believers. And it's almost amazing that in the country that we ran that search, in America, that those two things are synonymous, salvation and Savior with Christianity. But recently I was listening to a a report from ESPN about the young man who's going to be drafted first in the NBA draft by the Spurs, and one commentator said, he is the Savior the Spurs franchise needs. And I thought, boy, I I don't think I like that word very much. I was reading an article about a company that had been almost bankrupt and they had hired this CEO who was slick and smart and talented. And the title was this gentleman's name was the savior of this company. And so when we talk about salvation, we talk about a savior, we need to be specific to what we believe. In the book of Acts chapter 4, it says this, Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The Christian faith teaches, the Word of God teaches that there is only one way to go to heaven. You say, Jake, that's very inclu- That's not very inclusive. It's not very open-minded. I'm going to use the same example to you in the first, that I did in the first service. I don't like it when my doctor looks at me and says, Jake, you are fat, but it is the truth. Thank you. In the first service, someone yelled, fat! And it was someone I never would have dreamed. But it's the truth. When I'm standing in the mirror before I come to church and I've got my little bottle of hair powder out and I'm filling in this giant bald spot that's right here and my daughter's pretty much all of them will look and say, Dad, you are... No! (laughs) Yes, they say that too. And ball. Well, I don't like it, but it is true. And friends, you have to make a decision if you're going to follow Jesus to believe what it says or what it doesn't. The Bible makes no apologies for the fact that we are all sinners that we are on our way to hell. But God loved us so much that He sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross in our place. And the Word of God then says, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. When we come to Mark chapter 2, Jesus has been healing people. He's been delivering people from demons. He has been changing people's lives. But He always reminds them 
that all the blessings I'm giving you are not so that you love blessings, but that you love the blesser. And he always is reminding them that you have to love him, what he's done for you. And so if you would pray with me, and then we're going to go verse by verse. Father, I thank you for your word. Not mine, but yours. Lord, I know that if it's my power and my wisdom and my words, nothing will get done today. But Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit is at work in this place. God, you are the only one who convict. You're the only one who can reveal. You're the only one who can save. And so, Father, today I pray that if there's anything in my heart or my life that would hinder or grieve what your Spirit is doing, that you would remove it today. And Lord, I just ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. And so I wanted to show you three quick things this morning. And the first is this. Jesus came to change the lives of people. Jesus came to change the lives of people. Look what it starts here in verse 1 and says. And again he entered Capernaum after some days. And it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately... Many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Now, if you are familiar with anything at this day and time, houses were built with a flat roof, with a staircase that goes to the outside. That's why the book of Proverbs says, uh, it is better to live on the corner of the roof of a house than in the home of a... You can finish the rest of that or look it up, but it's Father's Day, so I'm going to give the dads a shout out here, all right? But Because you could go up on the roof of your house, you could live there. It wouldn't be pleasant, but you could live there if necessary. And so these men get to the house where Jesus is healing, where He's changing lives, where He is working and moving, but yet they can't get in. They cannot get this man who is a paralytic. He can't walk. We don't know how bad it was to the extent of he had any use of anything, but this man needed a touch for Jesus. But yet the crowds were so big and they were so full and they were so unconcerned about anybody else that they couldn't get through. And so these men do what I can't imagine many of us would do. They carry this man up onto the roof. This roof would have been uh, made out of sand and clay and and different kinds of uh, tile from that day. And they would have begun to dig above Jesus through this roof. We don't know what they had to dig or anything, but you know if anyone is working above you, the material they are working on, what? Falls on you. And so can you imagine our Lord sitting there teaching and these people listening and all that's going on and then all of a sudden a twig falls here. A a, a branch falls here. a, a A part of clay falls here. And everybody's looking up. And this hole begins to open. Now... We know that it had to be big enough for a man to go through for four feet by six feet probably. This man on a bed being laid down to Jesus. Now if I would have been smart or they could have, we could have just said make it big enough so he could hear us, right? If you just speak and make him well. 
What they did, and they dug this hole, they got this opening, and they began to lower him down. You think there was any disgruntled people there? Oh, well, it's just so full today. I had to sit somewhere else that I usually wouldn't have sit. I can't imagine why I'm not getting attention from Jesus because, look, he, he, I'm here first. But yet what we see is these men begin to lower him down and Jesus looks up and says, your sins are forgiven. There's a couple things I want you to notice from this. The first is this, that God knows your heart when you were trying to serve Him. How many of us have ever tried to serve God? You've tried to reach out to someone. You've tried to be kind to someone and it backfired on you. You forgive someone that, that everything in you says you don't want to forgive, you don't want to forgive, but God says you have to forgive. And so you forgive and they hurt you just as bad as they did before. And you're like, well, see, that's what I get for doing good. But listen to what the Word of God says in 1 Kings chapter 8. Then here in heaven, your dwelling place, and forgive and act and give to everyone according to all his ways, whose heart you know. For you alone know the hearts of all the sons of men, that they may fear you all the days of their life and live in the land which you gave to your fathers. Today I want you to know that, that if you are trying to love Jesus, but that there's a sin in your life that you're struggling with, maybe you're trying to serve God, but there's a fear or a doubt or an unbelief that is causing you to stumble, know that God sees. God knows what you're going through. God doesn't just view the outward appearance like we do. He sees the heart. And so if you're trying to serve God, if you're trying to be that godly parent, if you're trying to be that godly husband, that godly wife, but the results don't seem to be working out, don't give up. Jesus says, I've seen these men's faith by their works. But yet even if He hadn't saw their works, He knew their heart. But it teaches us though that if I'm going to believe in Jesus, my faith should line up with the works that God is producing in me. We see this in salvation in Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. What we know is the Bible even says the demons believe that there is a God. The demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But it doesn't mean they will spend eternity in heaven with the Lord. Why? Because belief has to lead to a confession. A confession that says, Lord, I am a sinner. I know that I have sinned. I know that I have broken your law. I know I have disobeyed you, God. I know I don't deserve your love and your mercy and grace, but yet you are willing to give it to me. You are willing to extend that mercy and grace to me. And so today you might be saying, well, Jake, I don't have a problem with God. I believe there is a God. I don't know which God or, or what He's like. This morning I want you to know that's not enough. The reason that Cale will one day stand in heaven is not because of his parents, not because of his uncle, not because of that baptism, but because the Holy Spirit convicted him, showed him that he was a sinner, and that Jesus loved him so much to hang upon that cross, to take his sin, his punishment, and take it all the way to death. That he was buried and rose again. And he had to call on him.
to save him. No one else. Jesus and Jesus alone. And this morning if you're here and you're trying to bank your eternal home in heaven on your baptism or on a Lord's Supper or how much you come to church or how much money you give or the good things you do, the Bible says it's not enough. You must repent and believe in Him. And that's what Jesus says. Your faith, your belief that I can. That's why the thief on the cross... Right, Remember me. He believed that Jesus was who they were mocking Him to be. He knew that this was, was a man that was unlike any other. And He says, remember me. He put His faith in Jesus. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. You cannot earn your way. You cannot work your way. This morning the Lord wants you to put your faith and trust in Him. Second thing I want to show you from this passage of Scripture is that Jesus knows what is in our hearts and mind. You say, wait, you just talked about that. We talked about the good part of that. He knows the good as we're trying to serve Him. But look what happens in verse 6. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, I believe there were some of the scribes that hated Jesus and didn't want to know. But I believe there were some of the scribes, some of the religious leaders that were saying, this doesn't make sense. This isn't right. Because we know that the Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, verse 25, that the Lord is the one who searches the heart. He is the one that seeks and knows what we are doing. Listen to what it says in Psalm chapter 7, verse 9. Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just, for the righteous God tests the hearts and minds. This morning there are some of you who are here, not because you want to, not because you're trying to figure out what you believe, but for whatever reason you had to come, you got drugged here, whatever it was. God knows your heart. Some of you are here today and you have general, general, gen, had a senior moment there, right? You have genuine questions. Maybe you have doubts and fears. You're going, Jake, I would serve the Lord, but I've lost a loved one. Or, or Jake, I, I, I think I believe this, but how can it be the only way? The Lord sees your heart this morning. Maybe you're here today and you're a child of God, but yet things have happened in your life that have caused you to doubt and to fear and you have struggles in your relationship with the Lord. I want to encourage you this morning that God is big enough to handle your prayers no matter why you're praying them. If you're angry, if you're fearful, if you're confused, this morning if you will draw near to God, the Bible says that He will draw near to you. Listen to what it says in Isaiah 43 Verse 25, it says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. So these scribes would have been the Bible teachers, the religiously educated of their day, and they're saying, this man is forgiving sins. But the only person who can forgive sins is God. This, this isn't right. This isn't what it should be. And I want you to see this, that Jesus never came claiming just to be a good man. 
Jesus never came just so that we could have a better understanding of ourselves and how to be better parents. And those things are all wonderful. But when Jesus came, He made no mistake. He wanted them to know that He was the Son of God. That He was God in the flesh. That all of the promises of God's Word were wrapped up in Him. And He was the only one who could forgive sins. He was the only one who could save. And so what we see in many liberal churches is this mindset that God just wants to make you better, that God just wants to help you where you're at, that God just wants to solve the world's problems. But Jesus never claimed that. Jesus came saying, this is who I am, this is what I can do for you, and you have to either believe it or reject it. And this morning I want you to know that whatever fear, whatever insecurity, whatever questions you have in your heart that you might not ever tell another person, you might not ever share with a pastor, you might not ever share with your Sunday school teacher, God knows and can deal with it in your life. Third and final thing, you're saying, man, this is going to be short. Just possible, yes, maybe. The third thing I want to show you is this. Jesus responds to what is in their heart and mind. But immediately, Jesus knew immediately and dealt with it. But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about the things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has the power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up his bed and went out into the presence of them all. So they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. This man was miraculously healed. The Bible teaches us that God can heal, that God can work, that God can move. But what he says in the middle of that is what is the focus? He says, I could have said, take up your bed and walk. But then you would have missed the truth that I was trying to teach you. He says, I want you to think about who I am. He goes, I want you to have to deal with whether or not I am God. And friends, the question is still the same. God wants you to know that He loves you. He died for you. He cares about you. The Bible says He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother, that He will never leave you nor forsake you. The Bible says that He's prepared a place in heaven for you. The Bible says that heaven is a place where there is no sickness, pain, death, heartache. All the things of this former world are passing away. All of those promises, all of those blessings. But He never wants you to miss the fact that you and I must make a choice. Do we believe who He is and what He said? Or do we reject that? Now I'm going to say this, and it could be interpreted the wrong way, all right? But I believe the reason that trials and tribulations and difficulties come into the life of Christians is one, to strengthen our faith. But it is also because most of us do not give God the credit when He's blessing us. Now before you stone me in public, listen. How many times do Christians never share their faith, but yet when they lose a loved one, and people are asking, how are you getting through? The Lord is doing it. 
How many times do we not give God credit when we're healthy, but then yet when we're sick, how are you making it through it? God is getting me through it. How many times do we celebrate our marriages when things are good? Don't hear a lot of people walking through the lobby going, I'm a blessed man because of her. I'm a blessed woman because of him. You don't go to work around the women or the men that you work with and all you hear is, oh boy, I'm telling you what, I'm married way up. No. It's usually what was the last happy day you ever had? The day before I got married. That's usually the conversation. And I know it's we can tease, and it, but most people are miserable. But yet, when it all falls apart and you're still allowed to put the pieces together and someone comes to you and says, how are you making it through it? What's usually the answer? The Lord is getting me through it. And this is why we always think temporary. We think about what we're going to eat for lunch, how we're going to make our house payment, how we're going to spend our summertime. But what God thinks is not temporary. God thinks with eternity in mind. God thinks, what is it going to take for that person in your life that's lost to have an opportunity to be saved? God's looking at your children saying, what is it going to take for them to hear the gospel? I believe that God wants to reach you through blessings. I believe He wants to bless and work and move and for His church and His people to declare His goodness to the world. You can read the book of Psalms, the book of Proverbs, but if you and I are really His and we will not praise Him, don't miss this. Whatever it takes is what will happen. The Bible says even the rocks will cry out if we don't. Now, I don't want you to think that what you're going through is because you haven't been faithful. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. But I am asking you today, if you are going through a trial or tribulation or difficulty, don't ask necessarily why. Say, God, what are you wanting me to do during this time? Who am I called to reach during this time? Which one of my lost family members have I never shared the gospel with? Which one of my lost friends have I never taken the time to talk about how good God is? That's why we have kids programs and baptisms and, and all of these activities at church so that you can not only come, but you can invite the people you love. You can talk about what God is doing in your life and in the church. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For the Jews request a sign. We see that. They showed up for the miracles. The Greeks seek after wisdom. The Greeks prided themselves on their knowledge. That's why they built those giant temples in the olden times. And you could walk up and see all of these beautiful stone buildings and, and that they worshipped their gods. They, they bragged about their goodness and all that they could do. And yet, we worship a God who loved us so much that He stepped out of heaven was born of a virgin into, into a life of, of, of normalcy from the world standpoint, a life of poverty from the world, world standpoint. He was, was born in a place that was reserved for animals. And yet he lived a simple life being raised by a carpenter. 
being raised with no earthly temple, no earthly palace, no earthly riches. He, this is the God who the Bible says that everything was made by Him and for Him and through Him. This is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is the one who spoke and everything came into existence. He's here on this earth as a nobody from their standpoint. And not only that, He willingly goes to the cross and allows Himself to be beaten and tortured and suffer. Yet He did no wrong. He didn't argue. He didn't fight. He didn't put up a disagreement. He was willingly led to the slaughter as a lamb. He went to the cross, one of the most horrific and shameful deaths that you could go through, hanging between heaven and earth, naked and beaten and ashamed. And yet, while He hung on that cross, the Bible says that the sins of the world were put upon Him. Every sin that I would ever commit, every sin that you would ever commit, was placed upon Him, and He took the punishment for that. He died, was buried. And at this point, the world, the Greek, looks at that and says, that's foolishness. What about the power of Zeus or the, or the beauty of this goddess or the power of this one? Don't you know that gods are powerful and all-knowing and, and they do all these amazing things and your God has died on a cross for you? It's foolishness. But yet the Bible teaches us that three days later He arose, conquering sin and death and the grave, and that anyone who believes on Him confesses Him as Lord and Savior, though our physical bodies might die absent from the body, is present with the Lord. And so you say, Jake, Jesus did all of this work. He did this miracle. He dealt with these people so they could see who He was and make a decision. And the same is true today. God wants you to see who He is and make a decision. My favorite chapter in the Bible is Titus chapter 2. And starting in chapter 2, verse 11, it says this, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Just like this crowd, all of them saw Jesus said, You are forgiven. There's a way. This morning, you can see who He is through the preaching of His Word. Not the message that I'm giving you as a man, but by who He is. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. The church, God's people, should live in a way that people look at us and say, you are different there's something about you. There's hope. There's joy. There's all of these things that we don't have. Not that we're perfect. Christians do stupid things just like lost people. Christians struggle with sin just like lost people. But when we stumble and when we struggle, it should be different because we admit it. We ask for forgiveness. It goes on in verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave Himself for us and that He might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for Himself His own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Paul writes to this young preacher, don't stop 
preaching that God's grace and mercy has been offered. And friends, you can be saved. And so Jesus looked at that man and said, you are forgiven. And today, you can be forgiven as well. You say, Jake, I'm already Christian. This sermon is not for me. Friends, you need to be reminded that if you are a believer, you are going to struggle. You're going to fail. The Bible says, he who says he has no sin, the truth of God is not in him, and he makes God a liar. You cannot be a child of God and admit that you have no sin. It starts with that. God, I need you. You say, well, Jake, I've done a lot of sin. Boy, I've really, I've mocked God. I've made fun of God. I've not believed in God. Friends, this morning it says the grace of God has appeared to all men. God knew your sin and He loved you anyway. You say, Jake, you don't know how wicked I've been in my heart. No, but the Lord does. You say, Jake, I'm a pretty good person. I don't think I need to be saved. I think I'm fine on my own. The Bible says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us are good enough. The Bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags. But today the promise is, if you'll admit that you are a sinner when the Spirit of God begins to deal with you, if you will believe that Jesus died upon the cross, was buried and rose for your sins and confess Him. That means, Lord, I'm going to acknowledge that You are the Lord and Savior of my life. Come into my life, Lord. Forgive me of my sin. The Bible says you will be saved. Friends, your life will be forever changed, more so than this paralytic man taking up his bed and walking. You say, well, Jake, I think I'm saved. I think I'm headed in the right direction. What does this sermon mean for me? Have you forgotten that it's important to bring Jesus to people or people to Him? These four men were willing to get their friend to Jesus no matter the cost. Dads, I want to ask you this question. Are you willing to do that for your family? The Bible says you are the spiritual leaders of your home. And if your family abdicates from following God and you do nothing, it's on you. It's your responsibility to stand up and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You say, what if no one goes with me? Go anyway. Moms, if you're here today and the husband that you're uh, sitting there next to and those kids are looking up to do not want the things of God, don't care about the things of God, you look up here. You keep doing what God tells you. I have six children, as you all know, or most of you just know. Three of them know the Lord. Three of them are not yet old enough. But friends, what I want more than anything is for them to be saved. I want your kids to be saved. I want your family to be saved. But what I want more than anything is for mine to be saved. And the task that God has given me is not to save them, not to make their way to heaven, but to continually be bringing them to Him teaching them about who He is, living in a way that they see Him. And friends, that one day when the Spirit of God deals with them and they confess, they will hear your sins are forgiven. And so today, this time of invitation that we're going to have, it's for you to do business with God. Today, if you need to be saved, I'll be standing right down here. I'd love to talk to you. 
If you're here and you say, Jake, I've just got some lost family members and I've not shared the gospel with them. I've not tried to get them to come to church with me. I've not lived the way I should. Get a spot. Say, God, deal with me. Help me. Lord, show me. Maybe you're here today and you're just saying, Jake, I'm going through the life's biggest valley and I don't think I can praise God in the middle of it. Find a spot. Say, God, how can I use this time of great trial and difficulty to bring glory and honor to you. And I promise you something. The Lord will show you. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, I ask that you would forgive me for anything I've said or thought or done that was contrary to your word and your spirit. But Lord, I pray that you'd work in this place today. Soften hearts, God. Soften my heart. Soften the hearts of these that are here, God. Let them know that you want to save them, that heaven rejoices when you, someone is saved, God, that, that we rejoice in lives being changed. Lord, help us not to be like the scribes and the crowd that says there's no more room for you. And Father, I ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.